Managing type 1 diabetes can be difficult and challenging. Today, a management revolution is underway that can help us all live happier and healthier lives. I'm Cliff Sherb, founder of Glucose Advisors. I will be sitting down with expert guests exploring topics in the advancements of the science of diabetes management, their personal type 1 diabetes stories, and details of the latest methods to help take control of T1D. We hope these stories inspire you to take control of your diabetes, health, and well-being, learning more about the advancements that exist to live a better life. For more episodes, visit our community at glucoseadvisors.com, learn from our team of advisors, and find out more about space available in our management programs. All right. Welcome, Dave. Thanks for joining me on the Advisors podcast today. Thanks, Cliff. Good to be here. Yeah, it's awesome to have you. And uh, I want to introduce you uh, to our audience. Dave is the CEO of the T1D Exchange, a non-for-profit organization dedicated to improving the outcomes for the entire type 1 diabetes population. And Dave is an executive in diabetes device, digital health, remote monitoring, and population health. He has over 25 years of healthcare industry experience, particularly in strategic planning, new product development, global product launches, marketing, analytics, and business development, and nearly 25 years living with type one. So with that, Dave, welcome. So glad to have you. Great. Yeah, and I need to update that because I hit the 25-year mark in uh, mid-January. So that's that's just about, I hit uh, more than halfway uh, of the of my, of my life there. So you can do the math and figure that out too. But um, we don't want to yeah. take away any years and credit from you. Absolutely. <laughs> That's so, right. Yeah. So Dave, uh, I, I have so many uh, great things I want to ask you on today's call. Tell me first out of the gate here, I got a great question for you. Who's your hero and someone who's inspired you the most in your life? Oh, wow. Who's my hero? Yeah. Um, yeah, that's a that's a good question. Um, you know, I'm I'm uh, I, I'm you know someone who's definitely very scientific. Uh, even though I worked a lot in marketing, which is funny, I, I tended to gravitate towards working with all the engineers uh, when I was in marketing or the people in research and development because they were very data driven, fact based, what have you. But you know, I liked a little bit of the creative side as well on on there, but. Um, if I were to say, who, you know, someone who I certainly admire as a, as a figure, a historical figure, I'd, I'd say it's someone like Isaac Newton. Uh, you know, people who have courage to kind of push evidence and science, uh, even when there were others who were challenging them or didn't believe it. And sometimes that's, you know, that's part of what being, a, I think, a leader is, is being willing to, uh, you know, stand up for what you believe in or what's right, but certainly if you've gone through a rigorous process to to get to what you believe uh, versus right. just throwing out you know random random you know hypotheses, so I, that's that's someone that I would say I certainly admire as a as a figure. Yeah, that that's a great example. Uh, I I think people who you know stay true to their their core and follow their dreams and push it hard are are certainly admirable. Absolutely, and. Uh, and tell me a little bit about um, you know your your work at the exchange. So, you uh, took on the role there, and tell us what that's like. And uh, I know you're working from home these days, and and spending time more so yeah. with your family. What, what's it look like, uh, and what's the T1D exchange all about? Yeah, absolutely. So, 
Yeah, I, I joined the board of T1D Exchange um, late in 2018. And, you know, I was familiar with the exchange because I've worked in the diabetes technology space. I've attended the, the scientific conferences pretty much several several of them a year since 2006 when I started working specifically in diabetes and uh, for an insulin pump company at the time. And um, so I had a vague familiarity with what they did, but when I was asked to consider joining the board and I started researching and, and talking to people there, I was pretty intrigued. Like this whole concept of let's, let's try to really gather this real world evidence and depict here's what's taking place with people with type one. Um, out in the in, in the world, and there was information being gathered a, a couple different ways, um, directly from patients uh, reporting their information through a, an online registry, um, but then also gathering information from diabetes centers that treat people with type one, and uh, gathering electronic medical record data that was all anonymous, um, but we would use that information to kind of portray what well, here's here's how these patients are faring with hospitalizations and A1C levels and the products they're using and so forth. Um, but also working with those centers collaboratively to actually try and improve things. So let's not just be the one that reports, hey, we wish that, uh, you know, people were able to have an easier time with their glucose control. That's, that's important. But let's actually try to take an active role in working with others to improve the glycemic control of, of people. So that's really kind of what attracted me. And you know, I ended up moving off the board to become the CEO in 2019. And, um, you know, there were some, we were doing a lot of different things. Uh, the, the two I mentioned were really important. There were a few other things too. And we decided to prioritize and say, let's put more of our collective focus on this quality improvement. And then on this, this patient registry where we're gathering information directly from people and try to grow it, try to get more data. Let's think about connecting device data to that. And so there's a lot of interesting things that we're doing now with both. And we've, we've grown the collaborative to uh, 35 pediatric and adult diabetes centers. We were at 12 at the beginning of 2020. So we've been able to triple the size essentially in 15 months, um, a lot during COVID. Um, so credit to our, our team and to the centers that we work with that we figured out how to, how to do a lot of these things virtually as everyone has, everyone's had to. Uh, we've been remote like everyone else, pretty much, not everyone, but most since March. Um, I've been in the Boston twice. So I live outside Philadelphia, but we're headquartered in downtown Boston. And I've been up there twice. I've worked out of my home office most of the time. And I used to be gone almost ha you know, half the time from here. So um, it, we've been able to, to you know, maintain our kind of effectiveness during all that time. And I've been able to hang, hang out with my, my daughter, my youngest, who's eight, 18 and going to be heading to college. So this last year, it kind of worked out that uh, get, a, get a little extra home little time. Extra home uh, time, yeah. That nice before the, the nest is a bit more empty, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So this is interesting. Uh, the, the, in the exchange and in this process and what you're uh, describing to me, there is some data collection. I, I guess I didn't realize that with regards to um, like device data and things like that or? or yeah, that that's a newer effort. So, okay. you know, I've been a Dexcom user since 20, 2007. Um, I launched a product, an insulin pump with it integrated in, in Europe uh, like 10 years ago. And so I, I've been on the CGM bandwagon for a long time. Um, and just knowing some of the tools that are out there, and I've talked to companies that have apps where they were pulling data, you know, over from, from Dexcom. And 
So I said, you know, guys, there's, there are ways that we could work to get this information. Uh, if, if, if people who use like a Clarity, uh, you know, app to, to um, you know, send their data to the cloud so they can get reports provided to them uh, from Dexcom, I, I know there's a way that we could figure out how to work this and get some of that information if an individual were willing to do it to pair their data with our registry account. So if somebody's in both, let's just connect them and then we'll be able to really do some you know, interesting research that kind of compare some of the information that we have and characterizes data that we have along with the data we pull in from this. So we've just started this this year. It, it took a little wow. while to get things figured yeah. out, but we've kind of gotten our first um, almost, I think, thousand people uh, have kind of unified that data so that we could do analysis. And so there's That's the, great. doing some work looking at some specific things around hypoglycemia and what people perceive to be hypoglycemia or severe hypoglycemia and what is the data showing um, and some other things too around that that project that we're we're doing that with with working with a, a partner organization so um, there's a lot more to come on that I, we definitely want to grow that and we want to talk to the other organizations I I, I want Medtronic and Abbott um, and even Sensionics I want to, to provide CGM if we can get data from them in a way that's efficient and not a burden on them, but helps us do better research so we can kind of advance the cause, you know, yeah. we're a nonprofit focused on working with everybody to try and advance the cause. So right. I'm, I'm hopeful we can work with those other organizations too. I found it really interesting, the, the approach and, uh, and I get these, these great emails from the exchange. I, I signed up some ways ago and, you know, they're asking me different uh, points of, uh, my diabetes day and in my lifestyle. And, you know, the, uh, every morning in my inbox, right, I get this nice uh, email and it's asked me and, uh, you know, I kind of want to go in there and vote. And it's, uh, it's a nice, nice way to contribute. And then there's, uh, I guess, once a year, uh, a little bit more in-depth kind of interview uh, process to that as well. And then that kind of led me to think, okay, well, if we start putting together a lot more of this, uh, you know, uh, diabetes hardcore information, i.e. the CGM and the insulin information, wow, you've got a really, really strong uh, pool of data and, and things you can really do some greatness with it. Yeah, no, absolutely. And yeah, you can think about it as like a funnel where at the highest level, we just start very loosely like, hey, if you just want to get some information, see some newsletters, some articles of interest and a question of the day, you can sign up for that. And that's one simple thing. The next level down would be, hey, do you want to be a part of this longitudinal registry where we send you, you know, 30 questions as a baseline? It's pretty simple. But in joining the registry, that information that you do can be combined with the other 8,000 people who have completed that questionnaire with us. And now we're able to, you know, see some interesting things and trends there. But just think, we now do additional research sub-studies, we call them, because this is done under the auspices of a, a longitudinal research study. We, we take the, you know, uh, protect the data very seriously. We consent and make sure people know exactly what's happening with their information. We protect it. We won't sell that to people, but we will do pooled research where we can, you know, help provide insights to others. And, and so that type of work we do do. And so with that registry, we can tee up other research that might be interesting. So we know if somebody wants people who have been diagnosed within the last year uh, and are on certain therapy that we can put a research study to those people specifically and say, would you want to be a part of this? Here it is. You can, you can sign up for this here. 
So let us do some of that work to help connect people to research opportunities. And that's part of our mission is we want more people to be involved. We can accelerate the development of new products and treatments if we get more people involved. And our goal is let's make people aware of it and do some of the work. And then they can decide, do I, do I wanna take this on? Yeah, maybe I do, but other times, no, I'm too busy. I, I, that's not interesting to me. So our idea is let's just be that exchange where we can it, have some of these opportunities. Right. Is it that is there a goal number of people that need to be involved for this to be powerful? What, what's the end uh, that you need to have to make this, this work? Yeah, it's a good question. Yeah, we're actually um, kind of embarking on doing our longer term strategy right now about we've been very much focused on the next year. Let, let's hear the things we want to accomplish in 2019 and 2020 and now in 2021. But now we're embarking on a, we have that 21 set. Let's think about to 2025. How large do we need to or want to get the registry? Um, I, I know it's not the current 8,000 people have completed and 12,000 have given us, you know, kind of their email addresses and said, yes, they want to. And we're working through getting them the, to finish. That's not our end game, right? There are 1.6 million people with type one. And of all the different cuts and slices and things that we want to do, the bigger we can make that overall registry, now I can start doing specific things with subsets that are deep sure. and rich. So I, I'm really excited about doing surveys around diabetes treatment satisfaction questionnaire. There's a validated tool that you can do. And so let's run that and see how people on all kinds of different treatments are, are feeling about what they're using and how satisfied they are with that. Um, you know, diabetes distress and fear of hypoglycemia. There, there are things that you could do on there, but there's also other, other stuff that's, that's around the device data and people on these types of devices have, you know, we find out some really interesting things and we have a lot of ideas that we want to go test, but certainly as we get our numbers up, you know, I'd get it to 50,000 people, you know, that's right. still 3% of the type one population in the U S yeah. so we, I, I want to get our footprint as big as possible because it, the research that's on, there are a lot of innovative treatments coming down the line and we get contacted all the time by people. Can you help us recruit? Even if it's a study on telemedicine, we get a thousand people. I have a new adhesive. Can you help us? We'll, we'll help get the word out. And there are a lot of people willing to help and willing to participate. We just want to be the connector. Got it. That's awesome. So how do you find ways to motivate uh, these TUNDs and find them in the community? And and you, you address the the privacy concerns I, that hit that perfectly, but uh, yeah, how do how do you find folks and get them excited? I mean, I I certainly, as a type one, feel compelled to do it uh, to help, and and uh, I feel like there's a band of uh, you know arm in arm with a lot of this stuff. Yeah, no, I mean, I I wish I could just kind of travel around and find everybody easily and pop on the shoulder and say, look, here's what we're trying to do. Would you want to be a part of this? Obviously, we use social media channels. Um, We've had a, a really growing kind of emphasis on leveraging different channels to try and find people and, and to, to give them the, the kind of the offer here. Hey, can you please join? And here's what we can help do. And here's what you'll be doing for the community. And, you know, it's people hear the term registry. It's not that obvious what that means. I mean, I, I, you know, five years ago, if you'd asked me what that meant, I, you know, I'd, I'd have a different definition than, you know, now, but the, the, the channels that we've been using, leveraging others who are already talking to people. So there are a lot of influencers, uh, a lot of Instagram, uh, you know, influencers and 
pe people that are putting the word out to their followers. You know, we've worked with organizations like Beyond Type One and others uh, to kind of get the word out. Those are some of the, you know, yes, that, that's pretty obvious to people. But what we're trying to do now, you know, we have a tool where we're reaching people with really small followings who just might be a little unique area and certain geography and they happen to have their their group of 30 people that they talk to and guess what they're able to help us get the word out and we get 10 or 15 of them to join the registry there's right. a lot of that taking place now and we're trying to really diversify and get out there um, particularly in in the black community and the hispanic community we've got some specific kind of influencers and we've got some organizations we've talked to that that can help help us you know get that out give us input into how we can kind of make the case in a better way than maybe we have in the past. So that's been a big part of our effort and our marketing team is very focused on that. And they're talking to a lot of people and um, you know, we're using a tool to help us find uh, people who have followings online that are right. not the obvious ones that you find when you just, you know, do your quick searches. So that that's yeah. been a part of it. Interesting. So now I guess COVID-19 has kind of thrown all of a wrench in all of this a bit and you guys also have some some things that you're doing around that and how it's affecting us with with type one. There's your perfect like, you know, let's get some information on that. And, and how can we address that? W where does that stand with with you guys? And how is that working out? Yeah. Yeah. So last year, you know, uh, we have um, uh, an MD, MPH, uh, Dr. Osagi Ibikosian, who runs our quality improvement and um, uh, collaborative and population health work that we do. And he approached me and said, hey, I've been talking to some of the centers that we work with and we're thinking we need to fill this knowledge gap uh, that exists like in the beginning. Oh, my God, diabetes is, it kills you with COVID. And there was a lot of misinformation about, wait, is that type one or type two? And some early data from China and Italy says this, but is that really true? And so we quickly mobilized and kicked off a study last April to look at how are people with type one contracting COVID? How are they presenting with symptoms? How is it progressing? Are they getting hospitalized? And are they having these severe, are they getting DKA? And that work, we started with the centers in our collaborative at the time, which was a smaller number. I think we were in the 15 to 20. Uh, but then we got another 40 to 50 centers around the country to join in and say, yes, wow. I will fill out information. I will send you my case reports on, I'll go through the EMR at our center and, and anytime we get a COVID case with type one, we'll send it to you with these questions answered. So they did that and we compiled that information and we're still actually collecting data now. We thought we'd be done. <laughs> uh, unfortunately, it, it went past 2020. And so we found things out about the, you know, the symptoms that present, um, I think, how it progressed and, and the takeaway is the most important takeaway if you keep your blood sugar in good control COVID is much less of an issue if you get it yeah so you might be at a you know you might have an increased risk of contracting COVID but if you do and you keep your blood sugar in control and we looked at below seven percent seven to nine percent for a1c mm -hmm. and then above nine percent and I, you know the, not surprisingly those who had a1c's above nine percent had a much tougher time, much more hospitalization, uh, higher hospitalization rate, more DKA. Um, and, but what we also found that was troubling was that there were disparities in that and really related to device use. So people who use CGM and pumps did much better, had better blood sugar control and had fewer hospitalizations, fewer, mm -hmm. less DKA. People of color used devices much less in our analysis. 
And as a result, they had, you know, much higher rates of DKA and hospitalization, three to four times as much for Hispanics, I think we're three times, 3.1 and, and, and uh, blacks were four times as likely wow. um, to have that. So that was an eye opener. Um, we knew disparities existed, but seeing it in COVID and, yeah. and the tie to the device use specifically. So what are we doing? Well, we're actually literally finalizing a contract with one company right now to help sponsor a project where we go target device disparities, device, the usage, the utilization differences. Um, so we're going to look at a few centers in our collaborative and we're going to pilot some training and we're going to monitor usage uh, device prescribing and and look at some other things that that can be done from a kind of a very specific test and measure along the way you know over approximately a one year time frame and see if we can reduce those disparities and so that's one of the beauties of the quality improvement collaborative is what what they essentially do as a matter of business on any issue is Let's go and develop interventions based off evidence. Let's go test those interventions. We'll be measuring it routinely, tweak it if it's not working as well as we thought, and then kind of monitor that progress. And we've done that for CGM and pump use in general, for depression screening, wow. for sick day management. We have a lot of things that we've done already. So we have a, an engine that we can plug into. It's kind of wild how you can shine a spotlight on uh, any particular area. And now that, that's, that spotlight's almost getting uh, more intense and you can shine it in a better way on, on that, what you're looking at. And I guess when you're looking at these things, is there anything that you've ever been you know, investigating? And you're saying, wow, I, I can't believe uh, that was a surprising outcome. I didn't expect that. I mean, in throughout the years. Yeah. Well, you know, one of the, one of the side, side efforts we did utilizing this infrastructure, just like COVID, is we did a telemedicine um, study to look at how, I think we had 19 or 20 centers participate in that. How was telemedicine being used during this pandemic? And what were some of those interesting characteristics? So you start thinking about um, how often it was being used. So quickly you see this massive drop from, or change in complexion of in-person visits to telehealth visits really quickly. I was surprised how quickly some of these centers were able to pivot and implement telehealth as quickly as they did. And so you did see things like, wow, data wasn't made available to them for the visits as much as I would have expected in 2021. Right. So a lot of missing A1Cs, which you can understand, people weren't going to a lab. They weren't going to the center and getting their blood work there for a visit. They were staying at home. But you would hope that there would have been more remote uploading of data. And there was a fair amount, but there was there were a lot of challenges. And I, you know, I, I was involved 10 years ago in kind of rolling out solutions to do a better job of uploading pump and CGM data. And you just think 10 years later in 21, I, I was thinking that we would have been further along in getting, having this passive upload of data, right? right? So I think people that use CGM and they set things up, you can have that passive upload to the cloud, but there's that's just not happening enough. And certainly not with enough with the pumps and um, smart pens, um, getting that information, making it available so a clinician can look at it and say, okay, now I can troubleshoot. I can look for lows. I can look for patterns. I can try to adjust things. Um, you know, that kind of adjustment has been going on for 20 years with data. We right. used to plug in the computer with bad download programs. Then we moved and evolved to the cloud, but it's just, it's not being used enough. So right. certainly the, the telemedicine survey definitely highlighted some of that, that we still have a lot of, a lot of work to go. But 
I think everyone's talking about it now and everyone's eyes have been open to the, the potential of virtual care and the ability to get, get some of this data sent from home so that people that know a lot about this can, can do it and help, help individuals with type one, you know, fix their dosing. Yeah. Telehealth is so, it's just so new in, in the expanse that we're seeing it now. Uh, it makes me laugh. I think about, I think it was a, uh, a, a plastic surgeon who was uh, calling in to uh, his traffic court violation and uh, he, <laughs> he was operating on a patient and the, the, you know, the judge said, hey, we got to stop this. You can't operate on somebody while we're, you know, uh, while we're doing your traffic court. But I, I do think that as we liberalize data and as we you know, make things more fluid in the system that we'll be able to solve problems much more rapidly, yeah. No, absolutely. And look, I, data is the key. And I'm, um, you know, th th there are a lot of things around compassion and support that have to be there for people with type one, without a doubt. But I tend to put more of my focus on the data side of things, right? I was on the wrong settings for the first 10 years of my diabetes life. And if someone had just bothered to do a little bit of analysis, they could have quickly realized that my, my settings were wrong. And I think you and I talked about this a couple of weeks ago when we first you know, had this intro discussion. I, I had the best health insurance. I worked for a great company. I had all kinds of education. I've got Ivy League degrees. I, it didn't matter. I didn't know what I, I didn't know that I was on the wrong settings. I couldn't figure it out myself. Yeah. I joined a, a, a pump company in 2006 and I was reading presentations to come up to speed. And I realized, wait a minute, what, why would I be on this one to 25 correction factor and one to 15 <laughs> insulin to carb ratio given my weight and my average daily dose? That This doesn't make sense. I just changed the settings on the fly. And I got my first sub seven A1C. I had been in the wow. low to mid sevens and could never crack seven. And I was just sitting there a little frustrated. And then this little change, I dropped 0.4%, 6.8. And I said, great, but why the hell didn't someone tell me this sooner? You know, and, but yeah. being on the pump and having that data, total daily dose was being calculated. It was easy to get an average. I had never done that before. I never thought about it. So as much as I'm mired in data and I'm, I'm very, you know, kind of focused on certain things, I flew 10 years not, not having the best control. And, you know, I had, I was busy with life and I just yeah. wasn't something that I ever even knew that was an issue. I just thought for some reason, I, you know, there was something I wasn't doing right, but I didn't know what it was. We see so. that all the time. People coming into our program saying, I, I just wish I had known this. Why didn't somebody share this with me? Why didn't this happen? And it's, uh, yeah, we're working on that. We got to fix that problem. Absolutely. And that's often the same response that people get when they start on an insulin pump or they start CGM. It might take a few days. You got to get used to some of the, it's a change in behavior and think you're a little off balance. But then after a few days, you start to see some of the benefits kicking in and you go, why didn't I do this sooner? Yeah. And that's what I call on the pump. I, I was resistant. I had a friend always trying to tell me who was type one. And her husband worked at a company that was type one, uh, making a pump. And, and I'm like, all right, I'll just relax. I'm fine. You know, I, another, I'm busy. I play basketball on the weekends. I don't I'm gonna wear a pump when I play. I know, just leave me alone. And then once I started, I'm like, why didn't I do this sooner? This isn't such a big deal. But um, we would do market research with people that started on our pump. And that was like the overwhelming consistent uh, response. 
Wow. Um, all these barrier, these reasons that you think it's going to be worse than it is. And then you try it. And once you dive in the pool, you go, oh, the water's not that cold. Oh, yeah. It's that yeah. similar experience. So. Yeah, I had the same thing. I, I fought, fought the pump for a long time because I had really figured out what I felt was, you know, the right way to do something exactly. And, you know, and this was when I was much younger, a little bit more vain about wearing a pump back then. Uh, and then I said, to heck with vanity. It's all about performance. And I, I felt a heck of a lot better once I got on a pump. And I mean, you, the things you could do with a pump were, were tremendous. So I, I totally get that. So, you know, you've had such a uh, extensive career in, in diabetes. I'm just curious, you know, what would you share with our community and, and our audience about um, things that, you know, they could do to manage your type one diabetes better? If there was like one major thing you'd say, hey, do this, definitely do this or, you know. Honestly, like I brought up this dosing thing as an example. I understand that people, certainly depending on their age, and their insulin sensitivity, like people cannot exactly conform to a, to an average, right? There are people that are over here and people over there, particularly adolescents who are growing. I mean, I was diagnosed at 24. So I feel lucky in a way that I didn't go through growth spurts and deal with some of the things that hormone changes and whatnot, that a lot of these parents and kids have to deal with. I, I really do. Um, I was a wrestler in college, like the stupid things I did with eating and uh, not eating and whatnot. Like I I'm thankful. I feel lucky. I, I, I got to do a lot of that in an easier fashion. I actually know a few people that wrestle with type one and it's a little extra effort. It's there are things yeah. they have to do. Um, but that aspect of like the weight and the dosing and these formulas, the rule of 17 or 1800 and four fifty five hundred mm. that we talked about, you know, that I won't, bore people with algebra here on the thing but <laughs> if people can get get their dosing set then you can go tackle all these other things but so many people are on the wrong amount of insulin for the carbohydrates they take and the wrong amount to correct their blood sugar yeah and like i was overcorrecting and underdosing for food just constantly boom 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 for 10 years yeah. and i talk to people and i i will literally ask people all the time how much do you take a day i'm just curious and for an adult um, you know, an average is about half their weight in kilograms. And if you do the math and you figure it out, I am like exactly to the T and my good blood sugar control, you know, my A1C is, is below target and I fall exactly on that. Now that could just be coincidence. I'm lucky that I fall to that formula. I do believe based off data I've looked at that there are a lot of people who would benefit if they got closer to that average, they may not come right at it, Yeah, but if they got a little closer, they probably, then you can go and deal with all these other little issues that come and hit you with exercise and illness and your menstrual cycle, if you're a female and all these things that throw curveballs at you. But if you're throwing curveballs off the, you're on, you're, you're, your basal being set is a certain that that's obviously one that's related to your weight as well. But that, that, that dosing has to, you have to get that kind of closer to the ideal. If you don't, it just makes yeah. it so much better. So. Setting that baseline is just so critical. Uh, and, you know, we, we even, uh, you know, help, help people find multiple baselines and that, and that allows them to be more flexible in their, in their <laughs> lifestyles. But uh, it, it, it's cer certainly a, a process and an education that, uh, you know, we need to help the community find. And I'm really excited with everything that you're telling me that the exchange is doing. What would you say you see things happening in the next five to 10 years? What would you want to see happen for the diabetes community? Yeah. I mean, 
it is so awesome what's taking place right now, honestly. Like, I feel like I've, since I've been in the industry 15 years, you're always hearing about all this incredible innovation that's coming. And, uh, you know, and I won't get into the whole debate or discussion about the cure and when is it coming. You know, right? What I do see, obviously, a lot more people now are using automated control systems. And I worked on one back at J&J. And I remember thinking, you know, I do a pretty good job. There's no way these systems are going to be able to anticipate, like, I know what I'm going to eat. I know what I'm going like, to, I can do things ahead of time that they, it can't, right? But when you're sleeping, what these systems do at night, there's no way I can compete with that, right? So that's, that's a first thing. <laughs> but I look at, like, we're, we're working with organizations developing beta cell replacement therapies, biologics to give to people if they're have the antibodies and it looks likely that they may be developing type one within a few years. There's amazing things taking place. And we're actually trying to help, you know, characterize what's going on with people currently, help recruiting for some of these, these, uh, these products, but it's amazing what's going on. So with that, and with the fact that there's now a little better engine, you know, the good work that JDRF has done um, with the T1D fund and the T1D fund funding some interesting things and really going after this. I feel like now the, the whole investment community is paying a little more attention to type one than they did 10 years ago. It did yeah. not feel like that when you looked at some of the things. You'd always hear about some mouse in a lab that got cured of type one. The non-obese <laughs> diabetic mouse yeah. was cured for the 88th time. <laughs> Yes. I remember that mouse. <laughs> yes, that mouse is incredible. That mouse has been cured so many times. I wanted I, I to be that mouse. Too facetious, but I'm like, all right, can, can we can we bring that over to humans, please? Um, yeah. But but it's so preventing people from even developing type one or delaying the need to go on insulin for a number of years. Great, but actually, for people that have it, to be able to come in in a way to replace beta cells, but then protect them so that they don't. The body doesn't attack those as well, and you get back to the same spot. There's a lot of great work being done by a number of companies at different levels. So it was a lot more hype 10 years ago. I feel yeah. like the, the progress that's been made, it's been slow, slower than we'd all like. But wow, I'm I'm I feel actually fortunate that I'm in this intersection where I get to see some of this and hear about it from these companies and um, see what, what role we can play to help while we're yeah. sitting there and kind of let's drive real world improvement of care. And like, there's, there's a lot of other stuff we got to be dealing with now, but I like, I'm really encouraged by what I see coming. So I think that's awesome. That is awesome. I, I agree with you. I feel like we uh, kind of landed on the moon here most recently with diabetes uh, compared to where, when I was diagnosed at nine and I'm now 42, I said, Oh, you're, you're going to be cured in your lifetime. And I'm like, I'm still hanging on for that, <laughs> but I do think we landed on the moon and the next step is we're going to land on Mars with some of the stuff you're talking about. Yeah, no, absolutely. And look, I have an appreciation having worked in pharmaceuticals and medical devices, being the commercial guy, usually in the new product world, like while we were developing things, sometimes all the way at the very beginning, right? Like there's a type two diabetes drug in Bocana that launched in like 2011, I think. I was at J&J &J 2001 on the pharma side when I said, hey, you guys working on anything at diabetes? Because I just joined and I'd love to work in something with diabetes. They go, well, we have this thing that we're working on, but it's not going to launch for another 10, 11 years. And like, 10, 11 years. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> then when you realize the process of what yeah. has to take place and I sit there, and watch, you know, I, I have some empathy for 
meeting FDA requirements and, and answering all the questions you need to for safety so you don't bring out something that causes a problem after the, you didn't find it out until after the fact when it launched, that's a huge issue. So, you know, I really do appreciate that. That said, right. some, of the, some, of the, some of the reason that things take a long time is that, you know, there wasn't enough money or people made mistakes in doing the work they did or they, they, they could have, there's always room for improvement in whatever we do. So uh, I, I, there's consumer demand and we're all saying, do it faster, do it better. And that's a good pressure to put on these companies uh, without a doubt. But um, it has gotten to a much better place than it was. And, um, you know, I, I applaud those working on it. And I'm, I'm glad a lot of us who work in the industry have type one, have relatives. I've got a nephew with type one. Um, I, I'm, I'm really motivated to work in this. But as I tell people at my T1D exchange, thank you to those of you who don't have a direct connection or impact. And you decided to take your skills and experience and come help us and yeah. come apply those to, to type one diabetes. Like, Thank you. I say yeah. that to everybody who works in the industry. I, I don't think we say that enough. And I know people in oncology, you know, my wife works in the oncology space. Lots of people in oncology work there because they've been directly impacted. Cancer affects most of it, but there are some who don't. And they just said, this is such a problem. It's such an unmet need. Let's go tackle it. And I think there's a lot of similarities there in the type one diabetes space as, as in the oncology space. Right. Well, I'll tell you, we're, we're going to be definitely uh, sending our community as much as we can over to you guys and, uh, you know, trying to keep expanding that registry, get it bigger, swell it up and, you know, try to keep pumping that innovation. We're all benefiting from it and it's clear that it's working. So, you know, keep up the great work over there. Is there, is there a way that you want uh, folks to, to get involved? Uh, what's, what's the best step for them? Yeah, so actually, you know, t1dregistry.org or T1D Exchange, you can go to our website, our main website, and then there we have all the information on the, the registry there. But it's literally, the initial ask is that you go there and fill out some questions that take 10 minutes, 15 tops. And then you know we, we ask you to consent and we get, explain what we do. Literally, we are taking your information, putting it together and trying to turn it into, into knowledge uh, there. And the, the more we can, the more people participate and they fill out a survey, they agree to connect their diabetes, you know, CGM device, and there'll be other things that, you know, down the line. Like I, you know, we can do so much with rolling that up and, and turning that into something powerful, but we need people to contribute. And look, we need all people to contribute. Like we are very kind of the, the, e, the, the, the people that first join and do this tend to be more similar and we want to get more diversity, you know, so we're doing our, our, our part to reach out to others. But if people can go and, and sign up there and be a part of our registry, that's the biggest thing that we could do to start. Awesome. Well, listen, I, I just want to say thank you so much for being on the podcast and, uh, and, and, and sharing your story and everything that you're doing with the exchange. So uh, good luck to you and um, have a wonderful rest of your day over there. But uh, Thanks for being on. Yeah, no, Cliff, thanks for having me. And especially those watching, given it's uh, March Madness and NCAA wrestling's going on at the same time. I, I know not as many are for that, but uh, there's a lot going on. So after this, I, it's, it's almost five here. I'm going to go watch some of that. So, <laughs> but awesome. thank you. I appreciate you uh, letting me come on and, and talk about uh, things and uh, look, look forward to you know, continuing our discussions in the future. Thanks, Dave. Thanks a lot. All right. Take care, Cliff. Too. Thanks for listening to the Glucose Advisors podcast. 
For more episodes, visit our community at glucoseadvisors.com. Learn from our team of advisors and find out more about space available in our programs. Head on over to Spotify, Apple Music, or wherever you find your podcast to rate, subscribe, or leave a review. Until next time, take control, stay inspired, and live a better life with T1D.